Thank you, Sam, for helping lead this morning. Sam is a friend of mine from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was actually one of my interns while I was serving there. And so, brother, it's a joy to have you here and helping out lead this morning. One of the reasons I asked him to help out this morning was because I had the flu earlier this week. And so I'm okay. I see Miss Becky saying, stay away, stay away. I'm all good, except with one exception. The coughing just really wore my voice out. And so it was nice to be able to have someone who has a strong voice uh, be able to lead us in song this morning so that I could uh, reserve myself for the preaching of God's word this morning. Well, just a few weeks ago, we started a journey through the book of Matthew. And if you remember that very first sermon from Pastor Charles, that was an introduction to Matthew. The title of that sermon was The King Has Come. And really, this title will serve as our uh, thread throughout all of these sermons as we walk through the Gospel of Matthew. And today, we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, a very familiar story to all of us. It is the arrival of the wise men to the Christ child. Uh, If you're able, would you stand with me as we read from God's word this morning? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this is definitely a passage we know really well. But it's also a passage which we know lots of speculation about as well. Lots of really uh, creative stories have been made up uh, based on the, of the events of this passage. Things like, how many kings are they? 
Or are they kings at all? Are they just wise men or magi as we might read? What is the nature of this star that the wise men were following? What's, what's the significance of each of the three gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus? So these are all things that there's been plenty of speculation about. And we'll touch on just a few of those this morning. But there is something import, important, not hiding behind these things, but really standing right in front of us if we really look at the text for what it says. There's very little detail given to us about who the wise men are, what's the nature of the star, what do these gifts mean. Very little is given to us about that. You know why? Because those things aren't the point of the story. Jesus, the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of all peoples, he is the point of this story. And we must, we must spend the majority of our time just unpacking that and what's communicated about our Savior in this text this morning. So this is the third passage that we've walked through or that we're going to walk through so far. The first was the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, which was the most interesting bit of information that you could ever possibly read. A genealogy. Just so entertaining. Well, one thing we learned from walking through that genealogy was that it pointed to where Jesus came from and who was the central figure in the middle of that genealogy that was pointing back to King David, right? King David. And then in our second text in Matthew that started after the genealogy in verse 18, we learned that this Jesus, his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so we can see already just in the first chapter of Matthew, even before we dig into chapter two, Matthew is making it very clear. This Jesus isn't just another baby. It's not just another child, not just another human, but this is the son of David, God himself. And today we're going to learn as we walk through Matthew chapter two, one through 12, that we just read that Jesus is the true king of of the Jews. Jesus is the true king of the Jews. Let's pick up together in chapter 2 verse 1. It says now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. So we have this idea of how much time has gone past. So we read of the genealogy, we read of the birth of Jesus in the end of chapter 1, and now it says now after Jesus was born. So is this like the second week of his birth? Is it just a few days after? Well, there's a couple clues that let us know that probably a couple years have passed before Matthew writes this second chapter. Look at verse 7 really quickly. Verse 7, we read about Herod summoning the wise men. And he wanted to know something very particular. He wanted to know when the star had appeared. Well, what's the significance of knowing when the star had appeared? Well, that would give a clue as to when the Christ child was born. And so if he can figure out when the star appeared, he can begin to put together what the approximate age of that child would be today. And then we have another clue down in verse 16. Look at verse 16, which is actually a passage that Pastor Charles will cover next week. It says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under. Well, this kind of reveals to us that if he felt the need 
to go all the way up to two years. This star must have appeared somewhere around two years ago, putting Jesus now at the age of about two years old in our passage. So nearly two years have passed. And also, they're no longer in a manger. They're now in a house, as we'll see when the wise men enter into this house with Jesus and his mother, Mary. They're no longer in the manger. Some of our nativity sets could probably be adjusted to reflect that. Put your wise men way off in the distance. They're not quite there yet. But read here in verse 2, still chapter 2, verse 1. So now Jesus, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the wise men, who were the wise men? Were they kings? Were there three of them? I don't know about you, but every year I seem to get a Christmas card. If you sent me this Christmas card... No offense, but I always get this Christmas card every year. Perhaps we didn't get one this year. That's got three kings on the front of it. They all have different ethnicities, trying to represent different locations from where this, these kings. Oh, and they've got crowns in their, in their garb, their kingly garb. And, and it just makes you think, man, these are three kings from all over the place. Now they've come together. But really, the scriptures don't give us that kind of detail. It just simply says, wise men from the east. One thing does hold up. Often you'll hear Orient land or we three kings from Orient are. That holds true because anything west of Europe is considered the eastern land, also the Orient. Although we might not call it that today. And so really, these wise men were Gentile priests Not that they were priests in the sense that they were giving themselves to a particular religion, but they were priests in in the sense that they were experts in the mysteries from Persia and from Babylon. And they were think they studied things like astrology and the interpretation of dreams. They studied sacred writings of all different religions. They pursued wisdom, hence the term wise men that we often see. And they also practice sorcery or magic, hence what we sometimes see them translate as as being magi, from where we get our word magic today. And so these weren't kings. They were people who were pursuing, they were Gentiles who were pursuing the, these thoughts of wisdom and this expert in things that are other than themselves. And so these wise men had been alerted. Certainly they had studied even the word, the sacred writings of the Israelite people, knew about the star and what the star meant, as we'll look in a second in Numbers 24. And so they saw the star, were alerted, and they knew about what was happening in Bethlehem, not just in Bethlehem, but really in the whole sacred area of Israel. And so they have come and they followed this star. The star, there's also lots of things surrounding the idea of this star. Was this, the, was this a certain number of planets that just happened to align in a certain way to cause this phenomenon in the sky? Was it a shooting star? Was it a star that had expired and had this explosion? Was it just, was it just a star in general? But... Uh, None of the details we see here really tell us that. It's not hugely important, but it is interesting in Luke chapter 2 what the shepherds are given sight of to alert them of the Christ child. 
In Luke 2, verses 8 and 9, we read this. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So what was it that the shepherds saw that alerted them to what was going on? An angel. And not just that, but what, what shone around them? The glory of the Lord shone around them. And, what, and when we look through the scriptures, what's most commonly associated with the glory of the Lord? Light. Light. And what is this star that the wise men are following? It's light. It's light. And so you might could even make the conclusion that this same angel, this heavenly hosts that appeared to the shepherds were also the same star that were appearing to the wise men. But the point is, they were leading the wise men to the more important subject. That is the Christ child, the king of the Jews. And so the Jews, not the Jews, sorry, the wise men say, where is he who has been born? And here, what's the, who are they speaking to when they're asking this question? Here it just says that they came to Jerusalem and began asking this question. So they might have asked this question several times. And so, where is the king? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now that should be a pretty interesting little detail there. Are these Jews? No, they're certainly not Christians. We don't have Christians yet. So these aren't the people of God that have come to worship the Christ child. These are pagan Gentiles, Gentile pagans. So this is a very strange occurrence that they have seen the star and want to come and worship him. Now notice in our next passage in our text this morning, we, we get introduced to King Herod. And in verses uh, 3 through 8, we see his reaction to the inquiry that the wise men have proposed. Here it says, when, king, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. So who is Herod the king at this time? Well, at this time, Herod the king is the king of the Jews. Herod is the king of the Jews. There's something kind of ironic about, <coughs> excuse me, there's something ironic about Herod being the king of the Jews. He's not a Jew. He's actually an Edomite of Edom. And so this made him a very interesting choice for the king of the Jews. Did the Jews put him in as king? Well, no, the Roman authorities made Herod king. And Herod ruled as the king of the Jews from 37 to 4 BC at his death in his palace in Jericho. And so Herod, also known as Herod the Great, he was known as Herod the Great because he was a master builder. He restored the temple of Israel. He built palaces, several for himself. He built theaters. He was a massive builder. And so he was considered as Herod the Great because of what he was able to accomplish in his reign, in his rule. Was Herod a good, a good king? No. Although he accomplished much in the way of civil accomplishments, he was ruthless. 
Anyone who challenged his authority stood to face his own ruthlessness as he put them to death. He was known for putting his sons to death, even some of his wives. One of his wife's mother he put to death. His own family he was happy to put to death if he saw them as a challenge to his own throne, his own reign. So now think about this for a second. Wise men show up saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? That troubled Herod because why? He's the king of the Jews. As far as he's concerned, he's the king of the Jews. And now here is a real potential threat. This is all too interesting. Was Herod born king of the Jews? No, he was placed into that role by the Roman authority. But this one that the wise men speak of is not one who will be put into, put into rule and power by man. He is born with this title. He is born king of the Jews. And so, so Herod here is quite troubled. But is Herod the only one that's troubled? No, who else is troubled with him? All Jerusalem. Now think about it for a second. We, we could fast forward and see a little bit more of the story, especially as it comes to Christ's life, his death, his burial, and the things that surround his own death. How do the religious leaders, the Israel, the leaders, the Jewish leaders, how do they respond to Christ's life, especially the weeks leading up to his death? They're threatened by Christ. They're threatened by him. They are corrupt. The priests and the scribes are corrupt. They have power. They want to retain that power. And so one who calls himself the son of God, one who is uh, labeled as being born king of the Jews, poses a threat not to the, just to the king, Herod, but also to the corrupt leaders of Israel. And so it wasn't just Herod that's troubled, but all of Jerusalem with him. But notice how perceptive Herod and these leaders are. Sometimes we like to give them a pass and just say, oh, well, they're just ignorant about what the Messiah is or who he should be and these kinds of things. But the passage coming up really reveals that they can't claim ignorance here as any excuse. So notice what Herod does. He assembles all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them what? Where the Christ was to be born. So this is his first thought to have. He hears the wise men searching for this one who is born the king of the Jews. And he immediately thinks of a Christ, a Messiah. So he knows, and he's not even Jewish. Jewish. And look what the... Look what the scribes and the chief priests tell him. So they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Of course, they know their Bible. They know what it says here in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And really the last portion of verse 6 is 2 Samuel 2, verse 5. I'll read those to you in a second. But verse 6 here, as they're responding to Herod, says this. The prophet says this, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So there's something really interesting happening here in this verse. Really, it starts back at the end of verse 5. 
into verse 5 that's kind of happening all the way back to Matthew chapter 1 and then carries itself through the end of Matthew chapter 2. It's this idea that it says here, for so it is written by the prophet. Notice in chapter 1 verse 22, where Pastor Charles was last week, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Our current passage says, for so it is written by the prophet. If we jump down to verse 15, it says, this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 17, then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And then lastly, verse 23, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. Five times over, Matthew draws attention to this idea that this child is fulfilling the prophecy of God's word. This is so important, especially when we consider Matthew is writing generally to Jewish Christians. And so it would be very important for him to establish his genealogy and then to follow that up with how what he is doing is continuing to fulfill Scripture. And so here the priests and scribes are citing uh, Micah 5, which Pastor Charles read for us in longer length earlier. What we see in Micah 5 verse 2 are these exact words. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. What we see in this passage, this whole passage, if you consider the context that Pastor Charles read to us earlier, the people of Israel have no way to defend themselves. They're weak, they're powerless. Especially when we think of eternal implications, they can do nothing for themselves. They need a ruler who will come forth and who will shepherd his people. The last part of this verse in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 2 is very similar to what we see in 2 Samuel 5 verses 1 through 2 when we see the anointing of David being recommended. This says this in verses 1 and 2 of 2 Samuel 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led us out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So who is this passage about in Second Samuel chapter 5? King David. Where was King David born? Bethlehem. What's this connection that Matthew's making with Jesus? Connecting him back to David, the king. But in this sense, Jesus is the new David, the greater David. And he is also one who will reign as king, but not king in the sense that Herod is. A king more in the sense that David was, and even in a greater way, Jesus is able to fulfill, fulfill that perfectly. Not just one who will reign and be king, but one who will shepherd his people. One who will shepherd his people. This communicates something differently than just ruling and reigning. Think about Herod's ruthlessness as he, as he reigned and preserved his own reign, even by killing his own family members. And so after the priests shared this with Herod, here is what Herod does. 
Verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So we know the motivation of the wise men. What do they want to do? They want to worship the king of the Jews, this child. Herod knows this, and Herod uses that information to his benefit. Does he have any intention of worshiping Jesus? No, none at all. He's lying. He's being deceptive. He's using the wise men for his own benefit. And do they know what's going on? No, they have no idea. They'll get alerted momentarily. But at this moment, they have no reason to believe anything other than King Herod genuinely wants to worship the child as well. And why wouldn't he? This is the one who has been prophesied about in all of the, all of the Old Testament scriptures that we have today. This is, this is an announcement that ought to be a joyful uh, news to the people. And so they would only imagine that this is good news for the people of Israel, good news for the king. Here comes the one who will be the permanent king, who will rule and reign. But no, this is not Herod's attitude. Herod's attitude is one of trouble. He does not want his reign threatened. And so he sent them to Bethlehem, this is verse 8 again, saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And so the wise men, they received this instruction from Herod. And then they take off in pursuit of Bethlehem. They're in Jerusalem. They're going to Bethlehem about six miles south of where they are. So they follow this star. And as they're following the star, the star finally stops and it stays at this one place. And they know this is where the Christ child is, the Messiah, the one who is born king of the Jews. And so they respond with joyful celebration, just as one should. In verse 11, after going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. This is an interesting response. We've heard about their desire to respond in worship all along. The interesting thing is, these are pagans, Gentiles, wanting to worship the king of the Jews. And what do the Jews want to do? Not worship him. In this scene, the first to worship him aren't even the true people of God. It's the Gentiles. And that's going to have major implications for us as well a little bit later. And so... After having fallen down and worshipped him, they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts, there's three of them, by the way, which I think is where we normally get our kind of understanding of three kings or three wise men. 
Uh, but here, what there really is, is three gifts. And so these gifts that are given, oftentimes they'll have different meanings associated with them. There could definitely be some truth to that. Um, and those are gold. This is expressive of a king. Frankincense. This is, this is uh, an ointment that is used for fragrance. It's one that sometimes is thought of as representing deity. And hence, this being given to Jesus would be some kind of acknowledgement of his deity. Certainly, the, the, the pagan Gentile wise men don't know any sense of his, his deity. They certainly can see that this is perhaps the king of the Jews, but knowing that he's the king of the Jews or believing he's the king of the Jews and believing he is the son of God, a third person of the Trinity are two different things, of course. And so, and then the third gift, myrrh, often thought of as a foretelling or a prophecy of, of what will come for Christ, his death, his burial, as myrrh are, are, is often used in the burial process. Uh, so those are, those are wonderful thoughts to think about these three different gifts and what they might, recommend, what they might represent, and, and they very well could. But what's important here is to understand that the gifts that were given to Jesus were gifts fit for a king. Jesus is that king. And in the last verse, kind of bringing our passage to a close, it says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And so here is when they are alerted that Herod is up to no good. Don't go back there. It's dangerous. And so they, ret- they departed and returned another way. I want to go back to this idea of Gentiles worshiping the Lord and the Jews rejecting the Lord. Clearly, as we said earlier, they're pagan. They don't truly understand the, the divine nature of Jesus. Yet their worship is still the right response, whether they understand who they're worshiping truly, their response is still the right response. But even greater than that, it foreshadows something beautiful. That Jesus isn't only the king of the Jews. He is the king of all peoples. All tribes, all tongues, all nations, all peoples. And this is a beautiful picture of that. When his own people reject him, the Gentiles worship him. Even, even if their understanding of Jesus is still flawed, they worship him. And so this is very helpful for us in the room today. If it weren't for the gift of salvation through Christ being given not just to the people of the Jews, but being given to all peoples, that includes us. And so we are the beneficiaries of Christ's wonderful gift of himself And so we no longer have to remain lost in our sin. We can know Christ. We can know what he accomplished on the cross as we consider our own sinfulness and knowing that we cannot come to the Father on our own because our sin won't allow us to. We can be comforted knowing that Christ, his death, paid the penalty of the sins that we deserved, even us Gentiles, so that by faith, and trusting in Christ, in his death, we might have salvation. 
And not a, not, a, not, a, not a temporary salvation, but a permanent, eternal salvation. One of the things we learn in this passage, and that we'll continue to learn as Pastor Charles unfolds the rest of Matthew 2 for us next week, is that the schemes of man, like Herod and the corrupt Jewish leaders, the schemes of man will not disrupt the sovereign plan of God. And so while it is true, Jesus is the true king of the Jews, not Herod, not any king that's come before him, even the ones like David, who were men after God's own heart. And as good as a king as David was, even David wasn't the true king of the Jews. Jesus was, because he was born the king of the Jews. But he's also the king of all people. And I think our response to this wonderful truth today should be very similar to the wise men's response. But our response is greater because we have been saved by faith. And so our worship is authentic. It's genuine. We truly worship the Lord. Not to say that we worship him always with the best motives or that we're pure always in our hearts but because of our relationship with God through Christ, our worship is made possible. Even though we are still sinful people, we are given access to God. And so this morning as we reflect on Jesus, the true King of the Jews and all peoples, let us worship Him together and acknowledge who He is and rest in the salvation He has given us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this morning. It is a beautiful thing when we can gather together as your church and gather around your word, hearing it read, singing truths of it, responding to it in our prayers. Lord, and hearing it unpacked for us. Father, we're thankful for you sending your son this was no other this was no other ordinary child this was the king the king of yes the jews but also the king of all peoples for lord you have made him king of all those who by faith will trust in him and so father we are thankful so we too humbly bow before you we too worship christ We too give ourselves, while our gifts might be different than gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we sincerely offer ourselves in worship. And we pray that, Lord, you see it as a pleasing and fragrant offering. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.